Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. Where are we? In the village, talking about it's your funeral. Yes, mm-hmm. whatever number that is. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it is. You weren't sure at the end of the last episode if this was because this is the first episode on disc three. We're on disc three already of the uh, the Blu-ray set, and you were correct. This is the one. I was I was right. I, there was a time when I knew <laughs> I knew the the run order of this because of course there is no official run order for this really. But um, yeah, we're into the last uh, like disc three, but disc four only has like two. Um, episodes on it, the last two. So we're really kind of rattling through these. Well, we are when we're recording these. They're all, they're coming out a month, but uh, once a week, of course, as you're listening to them, dear listener. But um, we're we're watching this series in relatively short order and recording all these podcasts for you, which is exciting. I'm I'm glad. I mean, is. It would have been interesting to live at the time when everything was coming out week by week and sort of experiencing, you know, the the, the water cooler talk and the <laughs> fandom and, you know, chatting with people about it. But since that's not really happening, I, I wanted to just push ahead and watch watch many of them in, in a quick order because you are my water cooler and you are my fellow fan. This is our water cooler and this this mm-hmm. podcast. I, it's it's funny that you bring that up because I'm curious as how because I know when I first saw this series, um, I might have said this on the podcast before, but I'll say it again. Uh, it was on our local PBS station was showing a marathon of it. Mm-hmm. I was and I think a friend of mine at school, this is around grade nine or grade ten for me, said, "Oh, they're showing the Prisoner this weekend. You should have it. Um, I'm going to tape it for you." So he taped it over the course of two um, cassettes. I gave him two eight-hour cassettes, and he taped the whole thing. And I bet you that happened a lot in the days when it was on PBS, perhaps in the 70s and 80s. And I'm wondering that this, you know, because a lot of people probably experienced the show that way, that this might be like the first binged series (laughs) well before the age of Netflix. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that it it sort of lends itself really well to a binge in part because, you know, there is no particular order that it has to be in. So sort of cramming them all together, it doesn't matter if you kind of get the things mixed up in your head as to what happened when because cause it's all mixed up, what happened when. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, for what it's worth, the, the order that aired in that in that marathon is the exact order that it is on, on the Blu-ray. So this order has always been the more comfortable order for me. So f- for all these alternate crazy orders to come out, it's just foreign to me. Ha. Huh. So it's your funeral, um, which involves uh, an assassination plot mm-hmm. by the temporary number two towards the outgoing number two which when i think about it why is the new number two wanting to kill the old number two because he was given orders the whoever's in charge we assume number one has decided all right you know the outgoing number two probably he knows too much ah. uh, and he's not going to be happy to be just retired to the village because he's been in charge of the village uh, and he's I guess old enough that he's it's it's time for him to, to be done with that so he thinks oh okay it's time for me to actually retire I've I've done good service to the village I get to retire and nope they they 
whoever they are, capital T, they mm-hmm. uh, have decided he needs to be taken out of the picture. So instead of, I don't know, just shooting down the helicopter or something when he's leaving, they decide to, and maybe this is, maybe it's just a, a test for the incoming number two to see if he is devious and wily enough to actually get the job done to assassinate his predecessor. Is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one that I've never really uh, quite picked up on. Perhaps on like um, Darren Nesbitt, who played number two. Apparently he had no idea what was going on in this and so had no idea how to play it as such and just sort of like played it as if he was bemused himself uh, or confused. And I find myself that I'm confused. So you're my water cooler mm-hmm. at this point. Which one's which number two is Darren Nesbitt? The guy with the glasses. Okay. Yeah. The the most stylish number two we have ever had. Yes. Um. And if if you'll allow me to put my Doctor Who hat on for a little bit. Sure. Uh. This is this episode is a bona fide cracker of a Doctor Who cast spotting. Um. Mm-hmm. I remember I mentioned Wanda Ventham. Mm-hmm. Yes, with the the hat and the cape. The hat and the cape, uh, who would go on to appear in Doctor Who three more. Actually, she's probably already been in Doctor Who once, um, in the Faceless Ones, and then would appear in Image of the Vendal and Time and the Ronnie. She is equally as famous now for being the mother of Benedict Cumberbatch, mm-hmm. which you said you recognize the resemblance. I mean, I, I wouldn't have said, hey, that lady looks like Benedict Cumberbatch. But once you said that, I could see I could see the resemblance. Like, he is he's a very pretty man, and she's a very pretty lady. I will concur. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, but the, the, the great thing is that number two is played by Darren Nesbitt, and sort of his cohort, partner in crime, I think number 130, is played by an actor called Mark Eden. Uh, three years prior to this... Mark Eden, or I, I should say Darren Nesbitt, played Tigana oh. in Marco Polo. The titular character of Marco Polo was played by Mark Eden. Oh, okay. They both seemed kind of familiar to me. And number two, I found incredibly off-putting. Like his voice specifically, that's probably why, because I heard him as Tigana in Marco Polo. Yes, mm-hmm. behind probably some very, if we could see it today, offensive <laughs> makeup to make him look slightly Chinese, um, but it was sort of more <laughs> classical <laughs> theatrical racism as opposed to the other uh, racism that we had in the 1970s. But yeah, that's where he was. He played uh, he played uh, to Ghana, and then I I wondered if you recognize the voice of Mark Eden as Marco Polo at all. You didn't that didn't trigger for you. No, his face actually looked a little bit familiar. Interesting. Um, so yeah, his I would say the way that he looked was more more familiar. And by the way, it's all racism. I don't care how theatrical it is; it all counts. I know, but I mean stuff <laughs> dating back to since before TV. So probably probably the way they did it in the theater, you mm-hmm. know, to have racism, and then before TV got different. Um, so since you're my water cooler, mm-hmm. uh, so the watchmaker mm-hmm. is a part of this plot. Is that right? Why was he implicated in it? Why was he part of it? Do you remember that? Um, okay. So the the deal is, um, I think it was, my guess is that it was sort of an exercise in control over the village. So the incoming number two mm-hmm. uh, was supposed to make this happen. So he had, he had Marco Polo as his right-hand man. And Marco Polo, I'm just going to call him that. Yeah, why not? Um, either that or he's going to get called Pink Jacket because his jacket was sort of like a pinky purple. Mm-hmm. Sort of lavender, actually. Mm-hmm. Lavender. I'll call him Lavender. Anyway, so Lavender <laughs> sure. is his uh, his sidekick. And he indoctrinated the watchmaker. 
So remember, there's an early conversation being like, you know, are you sure that that uh, he'll go along with it? Oh. And he says, I've, you know, I've everybody I've indoctrinated, it's always been successful. We'll have no problem with him. They're talking about the watchmaker. So the watchmaker has no idea that this is a plot that's actually coming down from above. He just thinks that Lavender is another prisoner. Because mm. remember earlier on that same conversation with number two, Lavender says that. He says, oh, they just, they all think I'm just another prisoner. That's right. So, so he has convinced maybe he's hypnotized maybe he's brainwashed or something but he's convinced the watchmaker that this is an important thing to do and actually i think the scene with the watchmaker and his daughter and number six standing there and watching uh was actually that was a good scene because he had some good points the watchmaker did like everybody is just so docile and you know maybe this will wake them up and we need to do something because we're trapped here for the rest of our lives um so i mean I, I did find myself sort of sort of agreeing with that sentiment so i guess maybe lavender is is so good at indoctrination that it worked on me too so the watchmaker was not like complicit in the overlord's plan he was actually just being he was part of it to take the fall mm-hmm. so that when it does happen all of the evidence will point back to this one little watchmaker guy just trying to make a statement and he'll probably confess to it because as far as he knows that's exactly what happened mm-hmm. so the you know the new number two and number one or whomever's in charge are not implicated at all as far as the village is concerned and then the overlords can punish the watchmaker and anyone and everyone else in the village if they want just to make sure that they keep them under the under the thumb you're really good at this <laughs> I love this episode because oh, really yeah it, uh, I just I'm only saying that because a lot of people rate this as one of the the lesser episodes of the prisoner I suspect those people are stupid received fan wisdom has spoken no this is good for the same reason that I quite like um the what's the name of the previous episode that we both really like hammer into anvil yes hammer into anvil because you know we never get to see number six being truly victorious mm-hmm. because he has to stay the prisoner because that's the name of the show but this is a second instance where we actually get to see him win in in some fashion. He is able to foil the plot of number two in a much sort of more forceful and strong way than he usually foils the plot of number two. Quite often we get to the end of an episode of The Prisoner and it's just like, well, he tried. Mm-hmm. That's that's And it's just sort of like, it just doesn't, you know, like, okay, it didn't work, but but it didn't mean anything. Whereas in this case, he like very specifically figured out what number two's plot was, worked against him behind the scenes and helped somebody get away. And act like, this is the one person that he actually does get out of the village. Like up until this point, he, you know, he's still the prisoner. He hasn't escaped, but you know, he probably could have, he probably could have just taken the thing himself and, mm. and hopped in the helicopter. And he didn't, which is interesting to me. They would have found a way to sort of steer him back. I bet. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so it's, um, it is, I like it because, because for one thing, he gets to be sort of like victorious, like I said. And for another thing, it's a plot that actually makes sense. Like all of the intricacies, I was watching it and I didn't remember the way that it turned out. And I was very confused for a while being like, you know, why is, who's doing what? They're, They're giving great little dialogue, subtle dialogue hints that don't mean anything until later in the episode and the the dots are connected like lavender at the beginning saying you know you won't have any trouble with him they think i'm i'm still and we don't know who he's talking about and then we find out that the watchmaker has this thing and 
and there's the mystery of the girl and does she know she's being used does she not Mm -hmm. and what the hell are they using her for that doesn't become clear until later all of these plot threads make good sense i mean except for you know the idea that they didn't just take him out back and shoot him but like i said my head cannon is it's a it's a test for the new number two and a way to just exert more control over the village mm-hmm. um, so as long as you accept accept the reason for going through this ridiculous rigmarole the rigmarole itself like it holds it holds water completely like it's woven very nicely yeah it's intriguing to see number six sort of like now on the defense of the village or at least of the people in the village where you know the one of the earliest episodes you know what do you I think it's the very first one arrivals you know what do you intend to do oh I tend to come back here wipe this place off the face of the earth that's sort of the very antagonistic uh, attitude towards the place and now he is begun to sympathize with his fellow prisoners and now we're seeing more people who are there who realize they are prisoners you know some episodes you almost get the, the sense that everyone there is sort of in on it in on the game kind of thing you know or at least happy or content to be there there yeah but whereas now we see like people like the watchmaker who are (laughs) the older and sort of like kookier they are we sort of like believe them because i think yeah they they're probably actually genuinely annoyed at being prisoners so he's actually there to help not only the prisoners or they they've met the citizens of the village but also an outgoing number two which is uh, very an interesting twist, I find. It also is very interesting because because of this episode, it is revealed that all of the previous number twos that we have seen were actually only acting number twos. They were just standing in for this guy while he was out on vacation or whatever. Well, some of them. I, I think at least the two that we saw in the doctored footage were certainly... Mm-hmm. Um, sort of acting number two, and we see it says acting number two on the on the envelope for for Darren Nesbitt's mm-hmm. um, number two. So that could only that might just mean that he had two or three sitting in for him while his during his tenure of number two. You think that he was there the whole time, or should have been there the whole time? That's a hell of a vacation. Mm-hmm. Is he off at his private golf club perhaps <laughs> on the weekends? Is there a Mar-a-Lago estate for all number twos or something like that? Well, I mean, it just, it it seems to make sense because they're giving him an actual retirement ceremony. That doesn't happen usually until you've been somewhere for a while. And it would explain why there are so many number twos. Like, I was was kind of surprised that, or wishing that they had gotten some of the previous number twos that we'd actually seen on the show, as opposed to just these randos Mm -hmm. that were in there, um, to come back and say one line or find a bit of footage or something that would have worked to to sort of tie that in because yeah it isn't clear but we've never seen this guy before so the only way that it would work that it was just those two or three in the interim um that we saw in this episode would be if between the previous episode you know previous episode whoever was number two in that episode you know gets kicked to the curb Mm -hmm. this guy comes in and sticks around long enough like there's a big enough gap between the previous episode and this one that he is number two for a while and then leaves and a couple other people take over for him for x amount of time right and then he comes back and has a retirement ceremony i i think it makes much more sense that he was number two before number six ever showed up in the village then there's free for all though where they elect a new number two. Mm. So there's that to consider as well. Oh, good point. Man, this show just doesn't make any sense. Oftentimes, 
the pr- the prisoner the village is kind of like the simpsons in a way in that if the plot <laughs> requires everyone in springfield to like a new social media network or something like that then everybody that week loves this new social media network because that's what adheres to the plot you know there's an election everyone's up for the election yay election and free for all and then the next week hey cool speed learn let's all learn speed learn and it's never mentioned again so i think the village is just kind of a a plot device in a way to sort of present for so i i admire your opinions Mm -hmm. in this but i i think and i I don't discredit them but i think Mm -hmm. that perhaps the retiring number two here his tenure perhaps lasted longer than what we see in this episode but not as long as the entire show itself well my headcanon is that it is as long as the entire show itself and that uh that the uh, free for all was just you know electing a new interim number two, or they just did that just for number six, just to screw with him at the time, which would make perfect sense that they don't actually elect number twos because they didn't. I mean, they certainly never showed any indication no. that any of these other number twos were elected. They just show up and and they're the new number two. To, to quote uh, number two from Dance of the Dead, we're democratic in some ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. It's uh. It's baffling. It is. I have to question the assassination uh, technique in that uh, the the seal mm-hmm. uh, that number two is wearing there is like full of plastic explosives that's triggered by a radio signal, apparently. Mm-hmm. But um, if they're intending, like, you know, and, and the the new number two, Darren Nesbitt, is like thinking, oh, come on, we got to do this, you know, because they, we have to blow them up now. He is standing not five feet away from him. Something tells me that perhaps that amount of plastic explosive would perhaps do more damage than just to the person wearing it. Yeah, maybe maybe it would just, you know, just him and like the person right next to him or something. I, I suspect that they took that into account. And, you know, I don't know much about explosives. We do see the plastic explosive there, but maybe it's some sort of low grade yeah. plastic or something. I think perhaps the, the location... In, on the in the village there in Wales, I know I know where they were supposed to be um, because there's a a part there which they've they've used in this in Arrival for one and another couple episodes and the Masked Man Dragon and Doctor Who. I think it's a wider um, sort of balcony that they they have there, and I think perhaps they wanted to maybe have that balcony, but then had to make it a studio set, and the studio set was a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. So perhaps they had envisioned that everyone would be a little more spread out, but mm-hmm. due to studio constrictions, they couldn't do that. That's my Doyleist hat on there for that. But yeah, that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Yeah. Um, but also, I'm really glad that you like this one. I I, I kind of like it too. I like the um, I like. Um, the interplay between a number two and, and the supervisor there who's wearing I think number 26 or something I don't usually see him with a number on but uh, I enjoy how they were sort of going back and forth and um, and if I might um, preempt your what would I cosplay his number two's house coat or, or jacket smoking jacket no I think he was a full on gown I think it was a, a dressing gown I think because one uh, yeah it went like down to the you know wow. like he was woken up in the middle of the night that was superb. The uh, the the intricate um, material on there was quite nice. I'd like to wear that, mm-hmm. cosplay or not. But did you ha- did you notice any outfits that you would like to wear in this one? Oh, there was not. I did appreciate that fabric very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, the style of it was not exactly to my taste. So I think I would probably 
just go with number what was her number 50 yeah i think it's number 50 yeah uh just with her her outfit that she's wearing pretty much the whole thing um because it's you know she's got the hat yeah love the hat love that hat yep um but her her top is not a sweater it's striped but it's made from actual fabric as opposed to that uh, like that knit that yeah. looks really uncomfortable that the rook was wearing in mm-hmm. checkmate yeah and that like you know the old guy he was playing chess with was or the one that was painting him was wearing mm-hmm. in this like many many of the sweaters in this show are that same sort of uh, knitting uh, like whatever that material is it just looks awful mm-hmm. so hers is it's um, orange and white stripes which is fine yeah. and she's just got like a just you know a nice pair of sort of khaki-ish pants and comfortable shoes mm-hmm. like sensible shoes you gotta love that so <laughs> i had one look at uh, wanda ventham's outfit mm-hmm. and thought you must hate this because she had the multicolored cape what about the hat though do you think like the hat mm, it's it's okay i mean she she can pull it off but it's like it's a bit fedora-y and these days the fedora says something very different than right. it did back in the 60s i don't want to be a fedora nerd no that's true mm-hmm. so wanda ventham was a fedora nerd before it was mm-hmm. cool to be Mm-hmm. Or uncool to be a fedora nerd. Yeah, she's fedora hipster. Yeah, mm-hmm. in 1967 or 68, whenever this was. Um, well, all right then. That makes me happy. I'm glad you liked this episode. I did too. Mm-hmm. I I also think the performances are all are all quite good. Yeah. Like you know, there's nobody that's particularly wooden or anything. Not that we get a lot of that. I mean, they're, they're, the casting is usually quite excellent. But I find the incoming number two or the acting number two just to be oleaginous like he's just icky in a, in a delightful way i love i i this is one of my favorite number two performances darren nesbitt just the way he constantly takes his glasses off just it's just the, the manner of his just sort of like uh like he does I, I saw in an interview i think in the making of on this documentary like him not knowing what what was going on and him playing not knowing what's going on and there's that slight confusion to his performance which just seems very natural I, I i like it a lot see i didn't read it as confusion at all i read it as being so 100 percent certain that he was just mm. the king of the you know like the cock of the walk yeah he knew everything was going to be fine um which is more than i think most of the other number twos have have had like he's he's way at the top of of confidence mm-hmm. which makes sense with my headcanon that all of the other number twos were actually just acting number twos and he's the legit like incoming official yeah number two the, uh, the the darren nesbitt one you mean mm-hmm. yeah he doesn't even need to act because his acting is so natural that how could he be acting number two but with the real number two mm-hmm. yeah because he's he's about to be so i just i think yeah and his he not only does he think that he is going to pull everything off just great because he's wonderful Mm -hmm. he also thinks he's very stylish because like just his his outfit outfit is slightly different we never see him does he use the umbrella cane i know that others like the old number two has that and some of the the number twos that we see in the doctored footage Mm -hmm. i don't think we ever see him with it i feel like he thinks it's sort of old-fashioned and fuddy-duddy so he doesn't have that he's got his his fancy glasses which he takes off and puts on and takes off and puts on and takes off and puts on all those times it just yeah he's he is something else and he thinks he's something else you betcha Mm -hmm. well he's tagana after all (laughs) 
<laughs> and he thought he was something else in Marco Polo, too, so perhaps they uh, didn't cast too far from that. Mark Eden, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, who played number 130, uh, also play, was in An Adventure in Space and Time, uh, playing Donald Baverstock, I believe. So he has a whole history of Doctor Who from the beginning to the end, and, and here we see him in The Prisoner, too. Apparently, apparently Annette Andre, who played the watchmaker's daughter, uh, she and Patrick McGowan did not get on at all. Mm. Does not show in their scenes, and there's a lot of scenes together for for Patrick McGowan and a female guest star in this show. Um, but that just goes to show you how TV is. Sometimes you can hate the person you're working with, but you gotta <laughs> gotta perform them when the camera's on. Well, I certainly didn't read any warmth into his performance mm-hmm. when he was with her. So I I guess you know it doesn't surprise me. He it, it sort of struck me that number six was working with her because he out of a sense of duty because mm. he felt like he had to because the village was you know in danger the the innocent people in the village were in danger and he needed to protect them so he was just like well i guess i'm stuck with her yeah. this is what i'm gonna have to do and that like the moment everybody was out of the woods he was gonna be like see you later lady mm-hmm. so yeah i think it's not like it's bleeding over into his performance like he doesn't seem like he's uncomfortable but he certainly doesn't. You can. There's no actual real chemistry there. No, and I, I think McGowan is deliberately cold to pretty much everyone who he's acting with in the village. Anyway, so that didn't really stand out. Yeah. 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 yeah he seems particularly annoyed and angry in this episode, but it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Perhaps he's uh, particularly annoyed and angry in real life at the time, mm-hmm. as production was spiraling out of control a little bit around this time perhaps but mm. but we'll talk about in that in future episodes of this in the village on the incomparable network stop doing that <laughs> <laughs> it is on the uncomfortable network though um <laughs> is that any anything more about it's your funeral no i'm just so annoyed let's stop okay <laughs> be seeing you be seeing you Thank you.